0: Hello! We are back with another individual talk, this time featuring Martin Dörfler, who originally spoke in session 11 of the First World Sepsis Congress. Now, tackling a major global problem such as sepsis can only be done by engaging every level, and Dr. Dörfler brings in the very exciting perspective of a healthcare provider with over 61,000 employees and 21 hospitals. His talk is titled A Healthcare Provider Success to Reduce Sepsis Deaths. Kevin, may I ask you to introduce Dr. Dörfler? I think we we will move on to uh, our next speaker, uh, Dr. Marty Doppler, who I've heard speak several times before. He leads the Office of Clinical Transformation in the Centre for Learning and Innovation and is responsible for guiding the adoption of evidence-based clinical practice and helping to define and facilitate clinical improvement efforts across Northwell Health, which was uh, previously known as North Shore Long Island Jewish Hospitals, uh, if I'm I'm not uh, wrong. He's a board-certified internist and he's a nationally recognised clinical leader in critical Care medicine and improvement science. So, Marty, over to you. Yes,
1: yeah, thank you. And that was an excellent presentation by Dr. Artigas. That uh, what I'm going to talk about here, I think, will flow fairly nicely from uh, in doing a little deeper dive into the the processes and history of a fairly large American health system and uh, how we've uh, to date, at least, um, had significant impact on sepsis mortality within the health system. Um, for those not familiar with us, this is what we look like. This is the greater New York metropolitan area. Um, we have uh, ten acute care hospitals, five community hospitals, a number of affiliated hospitals, 3,000 employed physicians, 19,000 uh, physicians credentialed within the health system, 61,000 employees. And we cover an area that is populated by uh, greater than 10 million people. I don't know what the exact numbers are in in, in our area, but uh, we're a pretty big place. (laughs) Um, What I'm going to talk about here, the next couple of slides, are actually going to just be some text slides like this that I'm going to walk through the history of our initiative and then go into a little bit more depth and show you some of what we've done. But this project began in 2008, was established as a health system priority by our CEO, Michael Dowling. And I will put forward that that is a very critical uh, component of success, as Dr. Artigas had shown on his slide. Having leadership engaged in this is something that uh, is very, very important. This is not just frontline, but it's also not just leadership. We began in 2009 by forming a, tax, a task force, they created recommendations and an initial algorithm for how care should occur. Um, And then we began the process of collecting data uh, review and analysis, and this is something that I want to draw attention to because this is actually a very, very important step. You cannot act on data that is not of high quality, um, and data that you obtain just uh, as uh, through normal processes isn't necessarily of high quality. Our first data was largely uninterpretable, and our first process improvement efforts were really around how to get data. From the front line and the actual care processes, that was accurate. And we spent a fair amount of time on that. We began a partnership with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I think most people are aware of IHI. That began in, I think I have them here 2012. I think it was 2011 that we actually began that initiative and focused on a system-wide collaborative to improve the uh, care of patients with severe sepsis. And I'm being specific here because over time, we broadened out to be all sepsis. And we also began initially focused on just one environment, our emergency departments. And again, we broadened that out afterwards. But part of our process, and I would argue to others, is to start small and grow. All the sepsis teams in every facility were trained in improvement sciences and the Plan, Do, Study, Act methodology. Uh, As part of the IHI process that they brought to us, we have three learning sessions per year where all of the sepsis teams from all the hospitals go off-site for a day. Originally, it was two days. We've narrowed it to one, and they learn the science of care uh, of sepsis, but also improvement science simultaneously so they can go back to their day jobs and be working on uh, actually making things better uh, by changing what they do. And then they go back and engage in that. We focused on building our bundle Um, We did not focus on let's get perfect care on everybody, but we began to dissemble the three-hour bundle. And and as Dr. Artigas showed in his slides very nicely, we decided at that time that the evidence best supported the most important thing to achieve in achieving um, improvement in sepsis mortality was highly reliable early antibiotics on individuals that we recognized. And so that was the first piece of this that we worked on. We worked on lactate turnaround time, uh, As another component of that, if we don't know they're sick, we don't know how aggressively to treat them, and then built from there. In 2014, we expanded out our efforts to the medical surgical wards in the hospital. Quite honestly, we've still not focused on the intensive care units. If you want to get this early, you focus upstream, and the intensive care units are where people end up at when you don't do a, gr- a great job prior to that. And we, uh, in our system at least, felt that they were doing a pretty good job to start. Um, so. Uh, Uh, And then lastly, we started putting on empiric fluids in 2014, 15, and even this year. So we built our bundle progressively to get highly reliable on the different elements as we moved along. Dr. Artigas talked about incentivizing physicians. We incentivized the entire senior administrative team. In 2014, the uh, achievement of antibiotics within 180 minutes for patients with severe sepsis went on. The system quality scorecard. And that is a component of how people's bonuses are determined and not just the doctors, but the finance people and and the head of the hospital and the rest. So all of that are part of what uh, we did in our initiative. Uh, Lessons learned. Some of this Dr. Artigas talked on, but I'll uh, rehash it because you can't hear this stuff too many times. You need a structure for leadership, partnering, communication, and reporting. You need to overcome barriers and data definition and confusing is a very important one. We redefined time zero based upon what people, what the clinicians felt it was reasonable to hold them accountable for. Um, those of you from the U.S. know that the Center for Medicaid Medicare Services is saying you need to follow certain things. It's perfectly reasonable. but data for uh, improvement, uh, metrics for improvement are not necessarily the same as as metrics to hold accountability, and we were working on improvement at that time. Define your outcomes and what you want to achieve, develop processes to, to to achieve them, and that's a key component to this. Assess how to perform what you think you're, uh, you need to do, standardize processes to increase reliability, utilize process to facilitate change, and then the greatest gains realized when we refocused on early identification, aggressive fluid resuscitation, and timely antibiotics. So, the whole 612 point bundle piece, we really focus on four elements and nothing but at this point in time. We haven't gotten highly reliable on everything there. Uh, some further lessons learned we treat sepsis severe sepsis and shock differently they have different components to it and the the processes that are involved are different and venue specific expertise the critical care people initially were telling our emergency physicians how they needed to care for people in the emergency department quite honestly i'm a critical care physician i don't know how patients need to be treated in the emergency department and vice versa so you need to have the actual time front front line people here Um, And then data transforms the culture. Once you have results that are showing you're moving in the right direction, then things begin to change. Now, on this slide, um, and this is a a, a detailed slide um, showing multiple years of the continuous step-down, we went from a mortality rate of about 31%, 32%, to most recently the, the the control chart mortality rates are 13%. So a major reduction in mortality And I could go over each one of these. The first piece of this was guidelines and education. The second phase of this was focusing just on the emergency department. The third phase of this was really pushing the emergency department to become reliable on antibiotics. The the next phase is uh, engaging the floors. And the last phase is when we start pushing on fluids. So every component of this work drove us farther along in our mission. These next couple of slides I'm only gonna show for future reference so you have them to come back to because we don't have time to go through them. Um, but on, on this slide is our emergency department algorithm and you can't see this very clearly unless you have it on full screen. Uh, but again, you can come back to these slides and they begin with the triage process and you move down a sepsis pathway or if they triage with certain criteria you move into probable severe sepsis while you're waiting for labs. We didn't wait for things to get moving. A slightly different version of that for the inpatient. And, again, you can look at all of this in more detail. I'm leaving them up just enough time for them to be frozen for uh, if this is on YouTube or whatever. But you can certainly get the slides uh, from, the, from the sessions if, if, if we're going to provide them, as I assume we are. Um, the first slide, in a little more detail, so you can actually see this, you start off, and based upon triage criteria, move down a pathway of beginning with sepsis, or we just presume based upon how sick you are and you have an infection, you have severe sepsis. Farther down, there are pathways to cross over and giving you details on our uh, definition of organ dysfunction and what our actual bundle elements are uh, on these other uh, components of it. But then I want to actually spend you know, a, a few minutes here uh, in closing this uh, out uh, with the time allotted um, with a little bit of you know how this actually works. So a case study, one of the hospitals is working on things. They're not really sure how to make things better. But you really go in and um, map things out, Uh, every single step uh, involved in a component of the care process, what it takes to give antibiotics to a patient, what it takes to get blood to the lab and the results back to you. And this is what's called a swim lane process map. So all the individuals that are involved are on a lane, and the process flows back and forth, and you can see exactly who's supposed to do what in what order, and then you move to the next step of sitting down and identifying in a group setting with everyone represented, from the unit clerk to the nurses to the doctors to the respiratory therapist, where are the steps that we think that there's something that could be fixed? And then you move to the next step and you say, which of these are the most important and are going to have the biggest impact on what we're trying to achieve? And then you begin the process of doing your plan, do, study, act work around one problem. If you look over the seven, eight years of us doing this work at Northwell, there have been thousands, if not tens of thousands of plan do study act uh, activities gone on in the various hospitals on the various steps of this to really take out variability that is not helping in the care of patients And it is taking time and wasting time when we know from all of the data that's out there that you need to recognize as soon as possible, you need to start get your tests off as soon as possible so that you continue your recognition of severity, you need to get your antibiotics as soon as possible, you need to get your fluids going as soon as possible, all of that as major components of making a difference in the care of your individuals with sepsis. And I know I've talked fast in the interest of... Getting all of this in, because there's an enormous amount here, it's hard to summarize seven, eight years in 12 minutes, but hopefully I've done that in a way that is useful to the audience, and I look forward to any questions.
0: Thank you, Martin, for, for, for a great presentation, uh, as I've heard you before, and every time I learn something new, uh, I love the, the improvement science approach that you take at Northwell, and the quality planning is, is an important part, even before the plan-do-study-act cycle. You, you talked about the, the importance of measurement, and you talked about uh, knowing that you want to concentrate on four big big pieces of work. Uh, with regard to the, your your measurement and your process measures and your outcome measures, you, you talked about, what about balancing measures? Did you look at any unintended consequences, and if so, what were they?
1: We look at unintended consequences, yes. One of the things, and, and I, I'm sure that this is familiar to many in the audience, many, one of the things that people really uh, focused on uh, here was the adverse consequences of the early aggressive empiric fluid administration, and so we have looked at that. And what we've found is pretty much the same thing that Terry Klemmer and the group out at Intermountain published a couple of years ago. As we became more reliable in administering our aggressive fluids, we actually reduced the incidence of uh, mechanical ventilation um, in our population. So we came to the conclusion that we were not risking harming patients by being aggressive with fluids. We were risking harming them by not being aggressive with fluids. Similarly, we looked at the concerns around antibiotic stewardship, and we engaged our infectious disease colleagues in this. And they felt that we should indeed be aggressive in the early uh, uh, use of broad-spectrum antibiotics, but that they promoted a timeout at 72 hours to look carefully and see what your data is, how the patient has progressed and if anything at all supports narrowing or even stopping antibiotics to see whether you should continue them. So I think both of those are probably the key elements that people are concerned about and we've looked at both of them and concluded, for the time being at least, we continue to monitor them that the course we're on is the best one for the care of our patients.
0: Okay, that's great. Uh, There's a question here from Conrad and I know the answer, but I'll let you answer it. Uh, Will you or have you published this work?
1: Uh, Yes. So we've published uh, first uh, the the methodology that we used. Uh, We were awarded the Eisenberg Quality Award last year. And so the Joint Commission Journal on Quality and Patient Safety has our methodology. And a detailed analysis of our outcomes, including uh, financial and accounting measures, has just been accepted for publication by Critical Care Medicine. So that will be coming out Uh, sometime in the next couple of months, and we've published in the Annals of Emergency Medicine an analysis of the uh, fluid metric that we have been using, which is starting our fluid boluses within 30 minutes of recognition of severe sepsis, and that is an independent predictor of uh, patient benefit that is already in press in the Annals of Emergency Medicine. So we've been analyzing our data. These are all, all qualitative analysis because none of this is randomized. But if I go back to the slide on the uh, outcomes, every one of those dots is 1,000 individuals. In the size of our health system, we see on average 1,000 cases of sepsis, severe sepsis, shock per month. So our data set on this is quite large and allows us to do the kind of analysis that we're talking about.
0: Okay. And and one final question. Have you looked about the the return on investment with regard to this work compared to life saved? So,
1: life saved or, or financial? Give me
0: what you want on your question. Well, so if you, can, if you look at the, the – you've educated a lot of staff and you take them out from work, so that's going to be a cost to the organization. So there will be the cost to the organization. But then do you recoup that, tr- that cost back by uh, less deaths, less time in ICU, less ventilated days?
1: Yeah, so it's actually very, uh, the cost of this is, uh, or the the realized cost of this has been fairly low. We have a relatively small team dedicated to this as their day jobs. Uh, Most of this is done on the margins of people who are caring for patients every day and what they fit into the time between things in their administration. So the overall uh, quantifiable cost is low. Um, Again, we've reduced mortality rate from 31 to 13%. Uh, turning that into actual number of saved lives would be a large number, um, but it's hard to take a mortality rate and turn it into a hard number, so I hesitate to do that. On a financial basis, we've actually seen significant benefits. One, by having earlier and better recognition uh, in the U.S., at least, where better documentation translates into more accurate coding. Uh, there's been an uplift in our uh, r- uh, revenue in the early on phase of it And the analysis that we're publishing in critical care medicine actually shows that when we provide perfect care, all four bundle elements as we've defined them are done compared to less than perfect care. There's actually a reduction in cost to the greater community. What we get paid, what our revenue is, falls. But what we save in reducing costs by ICU utilization, time on mechanical ventilation, Uh, antibiotic usage, et cetera, is even greater to the point that there is a net benefit to margin in the health system budget by doing this care very well. And again, that will be published in the Critical Care Medicine at some point in the near future, and I uh, urge everybody to look at that in detail because I do think that it's enlightening that you can provide better care and save money for the, the broader community and do better financially in your own institution.
0: Okay, that's great. Uh, Thank you. Well, that leaves us uh, really just to thank you all for uh, joining us on this session. I'd like to thank our sponsors for making the first World Sepsis Congress possible. Goodbye. As always, thank you so much for listening and spreading the word about sepsis and World Sepsis Day. A huge thanks also goes to our sponsors, which you can find on the Congress website, all speakers, and everybody else who made this possible. As mentioned earlier, we will be back on a regular schedule after this individual talk. See you next time.